Hello and welcome to the Informed Animal Ally presented by the Vancouver Humane Society. This is the animal ethics podcast where we share the ins and outs of topics like cruelty, legislation, and advocacy here in BC and across Canada. I'm Chantelle Archambault, Communications Director for the Vancouver Humane Society. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, VHS's Executive Director, Amy Morris. Hello. We spoke in July about the benefits of plant-based eating and how more people are shifting their diets to eat more plants. The plant-based journey looks different for everyone, so it's important to be mindful when we're talking about this topic to acknowledge that narratives around food can be alienating for some people. Before we get started, I'd like to note that we'll be touching on the topics of healthism and ableism, and there are also mentions of eating disorders. So if this is something you have difficulty hearing about, we recommend you have a plan in place to deal with complicated emotions that may come up. But to speak with us more about the messages around plant-based advocacy and health, we've invited a special guest, Danielle George. Danielle has been a member of the board here at the Vancouver Humane Society since September 2021. She has a bachelor's degree in sociology at the Evergreen State College, and she's also passionate about food, social justice, and animal welfare, and the crucial intersections between them. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Could you tell us more about your history with veganism and animal advocacy? I started out as a vegetarian since I was 13 years old. It came about from me being somebody who read The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. And I think that's such a good example of intersections between animal advocacy and what we eat and also compassion and caring for humans because I read this book about the meatpacking industry in Chicago. And I took from it at that time about, oh my goodness, the treatment of these animals is horrific and I don't want to be a part of that. When of course, you know, Upton Sinclair, one of the intents that he had created that writing for was to talk about also the horrific treatment and environment that the humans who were working in that situation were as well. So it's a great example of how if you're somebody who's compassionate and you care about one issue, it can bloom into and should bloom into kind of a holistic approach towards compassion towards everyone stuck in that system. And then I became a vegan in 2007. I was actually on my way to a Weird Al concert and I was with my partner who was not a vegetarian, not a vegan. Uh, We're both from the Midwest. We didn't have a lot of exposure to vegetarian or vegan ideals outside of what I had experienced. And I just mentioned that I was like, wow, Weird Al has so much energy traveling around and putting on these huge shows and he's vegan and I wonder what being a vegan would be like. It just really inspired me to kind of dip into that and my partner said, well, maybe we should try being vegan for 30 days and just see what it's like. And from there, we just kind of continuously took baby steps and learned more. And I was a much more emotional person on the journey. How does this make me feel mentally? How do I feel about this journey? How do I feel about what I'm accomplishing or what I hope to accomplish? And my partner is a much more spreadsheet person. So they were like researching environmental impacts, researching water consumption, checks and balances, I guess, or just boxes to be checked on what is being accomplished by reducing animal products in their diet. And so between those two places, we really just kind of both came to the same conclusion that we really were happy and we continued to adopt that lifestyle every day more and more. And we've never looked back. That's really great. That's cool that you saw someone having that example as a celebrity and and followed (laughs) that. Thanks for sharing your 
personal experience going plant-based, Danielle, and just for some background on the Vancouver Humane Society's role in plant-based advocacy for those that don't know, it's an important part of our work because plant-based eating has a huge potential to reduce animal suffering by reducing the demand for industrial animal agriculture, where some of the most severe harms happens to animals. I personally stopped eating animal products after witnessing farmed animals being treated horribly on farms and at slaughter facilities. I won't get into a lot of detail because I find talking about these experiences pretty triggering, and I think it could trigger listeners too. But suffice it to say, I really, before witnessing this, didn't think it was possible for really like normal people when put in a position of needing to earn a living to get to a place of so little compassion for animals that they could do so much harm to those animals. So really, like every time someone chooses to eat food made from plants instead of animals, it's helping to save lives because it means there's less demand for animals to be bred, raised and killed for food and put into these positions where they're vulnerable to people just trying to get by and getting to a point of of not seeing the animals as individuals anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And the VHS's role in this is we do work through our Plant University project to make plant-based menu options more accessible through institutions like restaurants, caterers, hospitals, schools, city concession stands, and also to make it easier for people to choose plant-based foods with resources like recipes, nutrition tips for thriving on a plant-based diet. And we also talk about the benefits of eating more plant-based foods, which includes the health benefits. So we know from public polling that we talked about a few months ago that one of the main reasons people reduce their consumption of animal products is for their health. So sharing those health benefits can be a strong motivator for people. And likewise, sharing tips about how to make sure you're getting all the nutrients you need while you're changing the way you eat can be important because it gives people the resources to meet their needs and have that change in their life be sustainable. But talking about health in the plant-based discussion can also verge into the territory of healthism. Danielle, could you talk about healthism and what it is and how it can come up in the plant-based discussion? Yeah. So healthism at its most basic is assigning a moral value to health and placing it at the highest of priorities. And now because it's a moral value, it's almost entirely up to the individual's responsibility to guard and protect their health. And any decline in your health is now an indication of of a moral failing. It's super easy to hold these beliefs. I understand how so many folks get there. It's widely held throughout our society. But there are some issues with having this concept. So recent studies in the past decade have begun to reveal that the vast majority of factors that impact our health is outside of our control. For instance, access to healthcare, community, education, what class we're in, and if we have access to economic stability, or if our society as a whole has access to economic stability. Living in a place that's free from pollution, that has stable housing, our genes and what we've inherited from our ancestors, and even language fluency and literacy skills can impact your health. And if you think about just casual stress that you would experience from perhaps not getting the same messaging that other folks around you who have that language fluency and or if you're trying to make a decision on if you're allergic to something, but you can't read or you don't understand the language that information is in. All of these are factors that are primarily outside of our control that 
have a huge impact on our health. But it can also imply the folks who have health issues for whatever reason, uh, you can start to feel that those people should have been able to invest wisely or have worked hard enough to overcome it. And not being able to do that can show weakness or laziness or lack of intelligence or lack of worth. So kind of it can feed into that bootstrap mentality of I'm where I am because of the hard work and the good decisions I made, and you should have been able to do the same. And some of the side effects of consuming or perpetuating a healthism-focused attitude can be often placing high value or a fixation on the exterior presence or appearance of health, right? So you can summon up in your mind what you think healthy looks like. And oftentimes that's from a broader social message that we've all been swimming in since birth. And a lot of that broader social message of what we've been told healthy looks like usually kind of implies the ruling class or an upper class concept of what healthy looks like. So it's not going to be necessarily showing a broad cultural or geographic differences of what health can look like. Because if you live in a monoculture or you live in a place that isn't very diverse, you're going to get a very small sliver. And that's going to become kind of your checklist of what healthy looks like. And also that's just on the outside. Health can look like many different things, but it can also remove the nuance for how complex making quote unquote healthy choices can be for so many people. So this might be an example of what healthistic or healthism thinking can look like. Everyone should walk 30 minutes a day. It's so easy to do. There's literally no downside. It's good for your mind. It's good for your body. It lifts your spirits. It's the least you can do. Why isn't everyone doing this? Well, immediately you can think of, okay, well, what about people who live with chronic pain? How would they navigate this 30-minute walk um, without maybe becoming exhausted or exacerbating their pain? What about people who are living in highly polluted areas with or without asthma? I mean, that's a choice we have to make during fire season. Is it safe and or a good idea for me to go outside right now? What about people who have depression or only have the capacity to either go grocery shopping for dinner or go for a walk. The truth is that most people live with a really limited collection of resources, time, energy, transportation, money. And it's really tricky and complicated to create an equation of what is the quote unquote healthiest way to use these small pockets of resources. But also healthism thinking can lead to disordered eating, such as bulimia, anorexia. It can lead to orthorexia, which is a kind of obsessive fixation on only eating the healthiest foods to avoid illness, it certainly leads to kind of anti-fat beliefs being perpetuated, right? If we're focusing on an exterior concept of what we think healthy looks like, then we're, we're certainly feeding into anti-fat beliefs. It's just overall kind of steeped in privileged thinking that can lead to victim blaming towards people who have health struggles. And it can lead to removing value and compassion for people who are locked in a complicated system. I think the challenge can come up when we're talking about plant-based living is that so many people often bring up health as a concern as to why they might be hesitant to try removing or lowering the animal products that they eat. It's tricky to walk the line of addressing people's concerns that can sometimes, not always, but it sometimes can be already inspired by this healthism concept without us feeding into it and implying that a plant-based diet is 
the healthiest diet possible. And therefore, it is your responsibility to be the healthiest version of yourself. So you're failing or being morally weak if you don't choose the healthiest road. When at the end of the day, health is often not in our control. There's many reasons why people are or are not healthy and many reasons why folks may not always have the capacity or the options or want to make the healthiest choice. And those folks and their lives, healthy or not, are 100% valid and deserving. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really incredible and detailed background. Thank you so much. Another issue that can come up in plant-based advocacy is ableism. So you you talked about people who might have depression and only have the capacity to do certain things in a day in certain mental health circles. We call that the number of spoons that you have to do certain activities or people who have chronic pain or people with asthma. So for instance, if we were to emphasize how easy it is to cut out animal products, but only offer plant-based alternatives to those products that are made from scratch and that involve a lot of chopping vegetables, that could exclude people who have chronic health conditions that cause nerve pain in their hands or that affect their fine motor skills or who have trouble standing to cook for a long time. Yeah. I mean, if we only focus on how easy it is to go plant-based, the unintentional message is that it should always be easy, things like this. So for some people, hearing that it's easy will make them shut down if they themselves are facing challenges. They might think that essentially the only ones not facing challenges or that the people who do it are the ones that don't face challenges. So when they run into a road bump, they might just say, you know, being vegan isn't for me because it's supposed to be easy and and this isn't. Do you have any thoughts on ableism and plant-based messaging, Danielle? Yeah, yeah. And I I do want to say I'm by no means an expert. I certainly do move in some circles of disability community, but I always want to advocate and encourage folks to look into what disability leaders are talking about when they talk about accessibility in certain communities and things like that. But I definitely think that when we talk about how easy something is, it's a great way for us to be showcasing our privilege. Because if something's easy for you, it means that you didn't ever have to stop and think about how many obstacles could have been present for you to accomplish that. And certainly when we talk about making the chopping vegetables like Chantel was talking about, we're thinking of somebody who has counter space, who has a cutting board who has a place that they can rinse their vegetables, who probably were probably not microwaving these fresh vegetables often, so probably has a place that they can bake or broil or fry these fresh vegetables or tofu or whatever it is that we're talking about. So we're also talking about, again, similar to that list earlier, someone who has access to a safe, clean space to prepare these things has the time and capacity to do it, has the physical capacity to do it. That's already a lot of folks who may find that challenging. But then we also have people, again, living with chronic pain, like you had said, maybe having nerve pain or arthritis, and they may not find that as accessible as well. So I think it is really helpful for us to just hold space for recognizing that what is easy for one person can be challenging for others and not placing that implied blame on someone who says, hey, this is a challenge for me. This is out of my reach at this moment. It's up to us for us to hold space 
for that, and then talk about how can we systemically help remove those barriers or obstacles for folks. Yeah, so that's a great question. I think that's the next question. So what are some ways that we can remove those barriers and share information about plant-based eating while also avoiding healthism and ableism? Like we had said earlier, it is so tricky because so many folks are coming into the conversation with maybe some already ableist questions. And so it's hard to answer a question that's coming from that direction without kind of feeding into it. But I think one of the things that can really help create space for people to feel like their challenges, their existence, the barriers that they have experienced are valid and it is welcome to discuss and we can all be a part of creating a solution is not having an all or nothing mentality. So progress, not perfection. I certainly know that I don't respond well to somebody saying, oh, if you fail on this, then you're no longer a part of this community. Or if you take one step in the wrong direction, you have to start all over. I don't think that that creates community. I think that that is a form of gatekeeping. And so if we want to create a space in the plant-based world where people who are experiencing those barriers can feel welcome and can come and talk about what resources would serve them because it should be by and for those folks. They should be in the room. They should be talking about what needs they need help meeting. Then we need to create a situation where it's do as much as you can. Any change is better than no change. And we're celebrating the small wins. That's, I think, step number one. And then also we want to talk about what does leaning into this, if you've been making those small wins, how does that make you feel? What have you been noticing? Maybe you're saying, oh, wow, you know, I have noticed that I've had a lot less inflammation when I eat less of this product or when I eat less dairy, I feel less bloated and just doing check-ins. And it is, again, without it saying, oh, but you still are eating dairy, you're a failure. And instead celebrating, wow, it sounds like you've been feeling really well when you've been able to make these changes and holding space for what other changes would you be interested in or how can I help you sustain where you're at and feeling, I want you to feel good. I want you to have access to things that make you feel good. How can I be a part of, of helping make that space for you? Yeah, I think those are really, really impactful talking about those small wins. And I think we can also incorporate accessibility into our messaging when we're talking about plant-based foods, myths, and tips. For example, there's folks who might see steak as the only way to get a regular dose of iron. You know, we might know that iron supplements can be just as effective as well as iron and green vegetables like bok choy or broccoli. But some people live in food deserts where these foods and vitamins just aren't accessible. In some more remote areas, meat from wild animals might be the most accessible and sustainable option. So that's why we're emphasizing in our messaging switching towards a plant-based diet and that switch can look Look very different based on who you are and where you live. Something that comes to mind for me is just how often we say, okay, well, plant-based eating, it's cheaper or easier. All you need to do is like make some lentils. All you need to do is make some beans. That's cheap. When you think about it, there's lots of people who either don't know how to cook lentils or they have IBS and lentils and beans just destroy them. So if we take any one thing and we describe it in some way that we say, oh, it should be for everyone, then we're alienating part of the community that might want to make a shift. Yeah. 
I absolutely love VHS's approach towards that holding accessibility in your messaging, like you said, and switching towards a plant-based diet and celebrating the steps that someone might be taking. Because I, I think that it is so easy, no matter what circles you move in, when you get a group of passionate people together, it's so easy to kind of accidentally trip into what I call should energy. Should energy is is like this hodgepodge of gatekeeping, that moralistic, are you good or are you bad? If you ever catch yourself saying, oh, you should, or I should, or they should, oh, well, they should just eat lentils. They should just eat green beans. That should energy is is passing judgment in one form or another. And to your point, Amy, I know there are some folks that live in remote areas or do not have access to ways to be able to cook lentils. Again, maybe, maybe they only have access to a microwave. Maybe they don't have access to a grocery store that would sell fresh lentils in the first place. And I always try to remember, I mean, eating is a huge part of our sensory experience as well. It is to many people, a huge source of joy. It's a huge source of culture. It's a huge source of mental and emotional nourishment as well. And so if I were to tell someone, oh, you can get, you can get everything you need from these greens. And they say, oh, well, the only greens that I have access to are canned. For me personally, I don't get a lot of sensory joy out of canned green beans versus fresh green beans. That's something that I have the luxury and privilege of being able to experience cooking fresh green beans. If I were then to say, you know, someone should be eating green beans, even if they are canned green beans and they maybe they have sensory situations where they don't like the texture of it. Maybe they don't like the taste, whatever the situation is. And I'm then asking them to fulfill my definition of what I think is a healthy thing, not understanding the full cost of all of the other checks and balances you're working with. You should eat these canned green beans. I think then we're not allowing that person to address and serve the many different parts of of their self, right? They have their physical health. They also have their social health, their mental health. They've got all of these different aspects. And so if they're sitting there miserably making themselves check that should box at the cost of whatever other situation is coming up, I don't think that that is a holistic approach to health. I don't think we are serving that person or serving that community. So I think if we can help break down and remove that should energy, I think it'll help make space for recognizing that it's not going to be the same experience for someone else, but also we can be gentler with ourselves. That should energy, it can lead into all of that body shaming. It can lead into the fat shaming. It can lead into policing yourself. Oh, I shouldn't eat. I shouldn't be bad today and have this chocolate. I shouldn't eat this because that's not what a healthy person would do. And instead we can kind of ask ourselves, how is this serving me? Oh, this is serve. This birthday cake is serving me because I made it with my mom and I've been looking forward to it all week and it's going to taste like celebration and fun. And that's exactly what this part of myself needs right now. The social self, my sensory self, this is what I need right now. Now, tomorrow I might need a mushroom scramble because that's, I'm going to go and do something and I'm looking forward to eating this mushroom scramble. It's going to be so good and I'm really looking forward to it and it's going to serve me in a totally different way. So just asking ourselves, is this serving you or, or whatever goals it's helping you accomplish instead of, oh, there's bad foods, there's good foods. I think that's going to be a huge part of our messaging 
to not bring cultural bias, to not bring that ableistic mindset into our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's really thoughtful. I mean, I know there's different terms. Some people talk about like intuitive eating where you're just like listening to yourself and and listening to what you need. And certainly people who have experienced any kind of say like abuse around food or controls around food, that's really important is that they can feel like they can eat just whatever, whenever. So there's so many different ways <laughs> that that food kind of impacts our lives. And in the same vein of talking about the shoulds, I want to reinforce that we don't want to lead with any kind of this is easy energy. I said that earlier. We can really acknowledge that there's a learning curve. Every recipe or ingredient or cooking technique or tip is not easy or accessible to everybody. You know, some people use a blender all the time. Some people don't have access to appliances. So really every recipe is going to ha have a different uh, level of challenge. We can also think about ways to reach people who are facing challenges without defaulting to, to saying this is easy. So acknowledging that it can be hard, but here are some tips to make it less hard. Here are some common challenges and how we can overcome them. We can also start with the most accessible ways to add a few more plants into the diet. Recently, someone was asking me about switching to a vegan diet. I, I kind of tried this method sharing with them about what part of it was hardest for me uh, rather than just being like, oh, yeah, nope, did it. It's been great. That led them to self-reflect. And, and they also wondered why I didn't just switch to purchasing more ethical products which gave me kind of an opportunity to share about my experiences working on free range and organic farms, slaughterhouses, sheep farms producing wool, where I firsthand experienced kind of witnessing abuse and suffering. And then also kind of the, the footage that I've observed just through working for different animal organizations. Somehow that became more relatable because they could kind of have empathy for what I've observed. And, and whether that's real life but just as much in pictures or videos online. And, and it opened them up to consider, okay, even though it was hard for me, I was willing to put in the work to kind of like make small steps to start it off because there was, there was a motivator. And that whole process kind of made the conversation much more in depth versus me just being like, yep, this is just who I am. It's the, I did this thing. It's great. And in that case, they just wouldn't feel like they could relate to me because they would themselves think, oh, well, you know, I've tried that and it, it didn't go so well or whatever, but they'd keep it to themselves because they just have that sense that it's too different. They're too different from me. So thinking about these incremental steps that a person can take, we can look at kind of in our messaging, where do you think there are easy changes you can make in your life? Where do you have options and availability for these foods? Could it be easier to start with shifting breakfasts or maybe milks to be plant-based? Or if a person doesn't feel like they have any options that are accessible to them right now, what steps can we support them in taking so they could be in a place to have those options that could look like advocating for more options to be available? Yeah, definitely. And while we're talking about that kind of advocacy, that's actually a really good step any of us can take to help animals. We can each do that individual advocacy to make sure plant-based foods are more accessible to everyone. 
So going into restaurants and asking them to add vegan-friendly options is a great way to make those foods available to the people who want to try plant-based but don't have the resources to make those foods at home. And it's also just a great way for anyone to try plant-based for the first time as an introduction step. Like I became vegan a few years ago, but the first time I had the thought that I could go vegan was when I had a really good plant-based burger at a restaurant in Toronto. And I thought, oh, this food can be tasty and fulfilling. Great. (laughs) Yeah, that makes such a huge difference. And to your previous point, Amy, when you were talking about how different ingredients, cooking techniques and and tools are not always readily available. I remember when I first became vegan back in 2007, there were certainly way, way, way less plant-based options in the grocery stores or accessible for shopping. And a lot of the stuff you were, if you wanted sour cream, you're making it on your own. If you want Alfredo sauce, you're making it on your own. And I remember I had a really cheap blender that I had gotten from Goodwill. When you are blending cashews, you know, not all blenders are equal. So my experience just from dipping my toe in of somebody telling me it's easy, just use your Vitamix and blend up this beautiful creamy sauce was not accessible to me at that moment because my (laughs) little $5 blender that was probably older than I was, was not making creamy sauces. It was making a grainy mush. Yeah. So I, I definitely felt like I don't feel represented in this conversation of this decadent lifestyle that someone is telling me is at my fingertips and is super easy, let alone if I had had other challenges, like if I had lived back in the middle of a small town in Kansas, where am I going to get these raw cashews from with easy access without driving 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe over an hour to get to a a, a natural whole food store. So I love this conversation of talking about and holding space for challenges so that people can feel like, okay, this community is interested in hearing about who I am and the, the challenges I'm facing, not about me fitting into the square shaped peg they have for me. And that if I don't fit into that, there's no space for me. I think a good community, a healthy community wants to hold space for hearing about what is your lived experience? What are the challenges you're experiencing? And how can we help make the system serve all of us better, not just the people who find it easy? Yeah, absolutely. I think this has been a really interesting discussion. I'm really glad we had a chance to sit down and talk about this. Thank you both for this conversation. That seems like a great place to wrap up for today. And thank you so much for joining us, Danielle. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Please join us next month. We'll be talking about the challenges that low-income pet guardians face and the systems in place to help them. Thanks, everyone. The Informed Animal Ally is a podcast by the Vancouver Humane Society. If you found this episode helpful, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review to help us reach more supporters of animals. To support this project and other initiatives to build a kinder world for animals, you can make a donation at vancouverhumane.ca. You can also follow the Vancouver Humane Society on Facebook at Vancouver Humane Society, Instagram at Vancouver Humane, or Twitter at VanHumane. The music in this episode is the song Jonah's Message for New York by Dr. Turtle, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Public License. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being an animal ally.